we are not the only one in the world facing this challenge. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Red Dot Hot Takes. I'm Hosan Leong. Let us start by introducing our guest for today, Jean. This is Jean Liu. What do you tell us about yourself? Hi, I'm an assistant professor of psychology at Neil and U.S. College. Uh, I'm 37 this year and I've spent uh, almost all, everything but two years, I believe, 35 of those 37 years, either studying or teaching in educational institutions. So education is very close to my heart. Wow, so you are... One of the perfect guests for this episode, then. <laughs> so, Jaime Yuso! Do you want to tell everybody about yourself? Uh, yeah, you can actually uh, download my wiki. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I'm um, full time a curious human being, mm. uh, which I got on board or went into the broadcasting world. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went to be becoming a radio broadcaster, right. producer, presenter, TV, and then uh, stage mm. show, and you name it. Like, as if you're not busy enough. <laughs> busy enough. <laughs> Speaking of busy. <laughs> we have Minister Chan Chun Singh here Hello, with us everyone. <laughs> to perhaps talk about the education and lifelong learning aspect of the equip pillar. I got that right this time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, the reason okay. why we're doing this series is because mm. there are six pillars um, that's part of the forward SG exercise. Now, I'm not going to try it now because I'll probably get it wrong again. But so, Jaime, <laughs> do you know what the six pillars are? Oh, yes, of uh, course. Uh, uh, here we go. Uh, empower, mm. equip, mm. Uh, you know, today when we're living in this kind of generation, sharing is caring. Yeah. So I don't want to sound very smart. So mm -hmm. the other four, I leave it to our you And there's Unite. Very good. Oh, oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. There's care. There's care. And Stuart. And Stuart. I'm sure they're all here at your series for this. No, but this is the thing because I think when the six pillars were announced by DPM Wong, a lot of people were going like, what's this all about, you know? And because we're talking about building a cohesive social compact, which is also with the first episode we asked DPM Wong, what is that all about? What does it mean? And so the equip pillar that comes under the forward SG exercise talks about education, of course, equipping our citizens uh, uh, to, to go out into the world in, and in Singapore as well, to work as well. So perhaps, Min Chan, could you explain a little bit what goes under this pillar of equip? Actually, the equip pillar is, as you say, is talking about how we equip our people for the future, which is going to be quite different from the past. But beyond that, actually, we had a, what we call a step zero before we even talk about how we equip our people. And that is how do we define success for our people? You see, in the past, I think a lot of us tend to define success maybe by the four Cs, the five Cs or whatever mm. we call it. But is that the only way we define success by material means? Or are there other perspectives that we should embrace? For example, success can mean that we bring to fruition the full potential of every of our children. And everyone is different. Mm. So success to different individuals can be defined differently. right? That could be one way. Mm. But there's one most important concept that we are trying to push in this exercise. And that is that today, I think too often we keep looking at success of the education system as the first 15 years of one's life how well we do in exams, how well we do in school. But the real definition of success is not what we achieve in the first 15 years of our schooling life, but what we achieve beyond the first 15 years in the next 50 years of our adult lives. 
Do mm. we keep learning? Do we keep contributing? Do we keep enjoying what we do? Mm. That is, I think, the real success. So if we move from the first 15 years to the next 50 years, then I think we have a, quite a different perspective on how we equip our people. But it's that process of having to keep learning and equipping ourselves with the skills to learn. And that mm. is important. Yeah, because we talk about success, right? Mm. And success is so subjective, right? Everybody has a different yes. standard level, you know, definition. So, Gene, in your in in your opinion, what does that mean then? I mean, what 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 the government is trying to do? Do you think it is moving the right direction that way? Can it uh, be done? Yeah, I think um, I wear two hats. I wear one as an educator, of course, but I also have three young children going through the school system myself. And I think if you talk to different people, uh, you get uh, you know a different perspective. So if you talk to the schools, they'll say, we're really doing a lot. And they are. Mm. I think Minister will share some of the things that you know they have been changed, um, with very, very large changes to the school systems over the years. But then if you talk mm. to the parents on the other side of things, uh, then parents have a different perspective. They say that, yeah, yeah, I understand all of that. I understand that we we have different models of success. But you know, there are still things that institutionalize, right? That, you know, uh, un until um, all pieces move together, where, you know, employers start mm. to think differently all the mm. way, you know, to scholarships think differently, and, you know, all these different things start to move together, mm. then we can also start changing our mindsets. Mm. So it's a little bit of everyone has to uh, uh, shift in some sense. I thought that's a great example when Jin made the point about everyone other of us have to move together. Mm. So for example, broadening the definition of success, we say that don't just look at academics, but yeah. also look beyond academics, look at the character of the person, look at the kind of value systems that they have, look at that curiosity. But who is who is the one that's going to look at all this, right? It has to be the family, having to recognize that every kid is a unique individual and we should try to bring up the best in him or her rather than try to shoehorn him or her into a particular mold which mm. may not fit him or her. Mm. Then we also need the industry people to say that, well, I'm going to look at people beyond the grades, right? Absolutely. Because in the past, I think we try to look for uh, one yardstick and say that, oh, everything is summarized in this grade, this GPA. But that is just a generic marker mm. of ability. It doesn't tell you very specifically what the person yeah. is good at. In fact, very often in many of these progressive uh, employment practices, when you go for an interview, they will give you a problem to solve which don't yet have a solution. Mm -hmm. They want to know whether how you can frame tomorrow's challenges mm. and try to come up with new and creative ideas, mm. not just by yourself, but also by collaborating with other people from different backgrounds. So you see, these are all different skill sets that we need our future generation to have. Oh, I wouldn't say future generation, I would say the current now, generation. Right? You've got to do it now. Yeah, you got to do yeah, it now, you yeah. see. And our people have a different challenge. It's not just about knowing what's around. In fact, they will be over, they will be inundated with uh, mm, all the information. Mm. The new skill sets, I think, that we are trying to teach in the schools and the universities, how do you find the information? How do you discern whether they, are, uh, they make sense, they are real, right. they are fake? Then how do you synthesize the information to create something new? And apply it. And apply it. Yeah. 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 So I'm ask yeah. Suhaimi, yeah, yeah. Because, <coughs> because like, you know, success to us, mm. um, back then when, when you told your folks that you were going to be an entertainer and same with me, it was like... I had to do it in secrecy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you yeah, in secret imagine like, uh, okay, uh, so if my father asked me, he's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a joker. Can you imagine like, <laughs> the first thing we'll do is throw me out of the window. Yeah, so yeah. I think back then was the situation was absolutely, totally different. And I think touching on the, the dynamics mm. or the dynamism of things that's going on right now, back then it was quite uh, easy for mm. us to like hold on to <clears throat> certain things that we've learned. Mm. And then it could actually survive the next five to 10 years 
because it's yeah. quite stable and we could use that hone the skills and you know really milk it until yeah. it comes to its fruition but today okay the fundamental question would be is something like if we learn something the turnaround mm. how long would that last how fast can the school or the institution or educational institution turn around well, how quick okay all yeah, right because we're not talking about titanic ship. we're talking yeah. about speedy gonzales you know all those boats are moving quite fast because we're exposed yeah. to the, the world's evolving world now right really really That's, quickly and um yeah. in terms of education singapore mm. always has been on the forefront yeah. always I mean, number one, yeah. but we are trying to improve such mm -hmm. that our society can move together. Yeah. And as Min Chan had said, collectively, we all need to be mm. responsible, right? So on that note, we are going to start our hot take, okay? Our red dot hot take. We are asking too much <laughs> of our school teachers. <laughs> too much. All right, we've had news about teachers doing a lot and they have so much to do, right? They got to deal with the students, the teaching them, they have to break yeah, up the yeah, fights, yeah. they got admin stuff to do, they have to deal with the parents, okay? But it's one of those things, you see, I, I always uh, share with my teachers and they share with me, you see, yeah. says nowadays, truly, truly speaking, we have more teachers mm. compared to the number of students. The, the ratios have certainly improved. But why is it that we all feel so, um, yeah. so busy? That's where the partnership between the parents yeah, yeah, yeah. and the school have to come mm, in. I think that yeah. needs to be that mutual trust, you see. Mm. And then we need to give space mm. to the children to grow. We also mm. need to give space to the teachers to manage the children accordingly. And sometimes we, I think as parents and, and even as a school system, I think sometimes we are guilty of what I call over-providing. Mm. Because whenever there's a problem, we want to rush there with a solution to provide for the kids. I, I don't think there's always a push and pull factor here because like, one is over-providing. The other one, if we don't provide, I think we'll also provide some problem area there. But I think at the end of the day, as um, uh, we're asking too much of our school teachers, I think that question is like, you know, addressing as if like we're in a competition. I think the competition mindset sets the tone here that um, sometimes uh, we, as parents, uh, we don't look at our kids as kids, but we look at them as trophies. Commodities. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then the pressure, you know, of course, uh, it trickles Wait, down to I the teachers. I want to ask you, Swami, so yeah. how did you, what happened at home for you when me, you were bringing yeah. up your kids and making them study? <laughs> how was that like? Uh, I think uh, what parents do, we, we were the first teachers anyway. So the first thing I told them was like, go to school, mix around with more friends. Socialize, because that's what I did back then. The whole infrastructure is to socialize, so we become more friends. And then friends will become friends. And imagine some of your friends, you know, some of them, you know, who knows, might grow up to be a minister, uh, <laughs> to be oh. an entertainer, uh, you know. <laughs> so it's like a whole bunch of classmates. That's the whole fundamental idea. And then we all learn through, through playing, right? So I told my kids, number one, I will never give you tuition classes. I want to provide tuition, so you have to learn on your own. So I actually had uh, mm. uh, tuition uh, classes at the beginning, like first and second year. Then after that, I scrapped off the whole idea because- How uh, old was that when you- They were like primary three, primary okay. four. Okay. And then I decided like, what is this? Yeah. You know, it's like, why yeah. am I like uh, giving a little bit more? It's not boost the shot, but it's a, it's a, I, I don't know. I'm just putting too much pressure on that. Sure. Yeah. So then I want them to enjoy, you know, mm. enjoy. So the keyword was to enjoy the learning. But it's very yeah. common, you see. I think yeah. in the past, mm. we all went through this. We mm. all get compared. Yeah. But we only get compared once a year during Hari Raya, Chinese <laughs> New Year, where you true, go visit true. your relatives, right? Like, yes. Hey, 
Which school you are in? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that was once upon a time. But right. today, actually, the, the children uh. and the parents face a different set of pressures. Mm. You know, with all these websites and all these things that yeah. you keep watching other people's social media's feed, you are constantly being compared. We all post the nicest, the most beautiful picture. Sure. But in that process, what we are unconsciously doing is that we are normalizing the extremes. Mm. And then after a while, if you are just being normal, average, yeah. you start to feel like eh, something is wrong with me. Yeah. Like, why is everybody enjoying such a good meal, <laughs> in, dressed in this nice fancy outfit, going to fancy mm. places, and I'm just doing my homework. Mm. I know, like we say, it's all responsibility that is shared. Okay. So let's go back to the fundamentals now. How? are we dealing with this problem? Let's, let's, let's talk about it. It's a problem. I think right. it's a problem. Yep, right. How are we dealing with it? So I think we need to uh, attack it from different angles, just, just as you mentioned. Okay. From the individual level, I think we need to give our people the sense of confidence that actually what is most important to the individual is not so much whether they ace one particular exam, they mm -hmm. surpass somebody in an exam. So my mantra to the students is, it's more important to keep surpassing yourself for life than to try and surpass someone else for an exam. I, I got one question, one question. In, in relation to that. So does it mean, representing three quarters of my former classmates who are teachers now, does it mean that they can relax a little bit and their KPI loosen up a bit? I told the teachers during the work plan seminar, I say yeah. that, you know, sometimes we have to let go huh? of a bit and give the children space. Ooh. And at the same time, I, me as the minister, I will back you up because I do want you to go and get so involved in this uh, micromanagement, yeah. mm -hmm. but they are always afraid whether they are answerable to mm. the parents. So the example that I've shared before, you know, one of the school told me that I have to deploy teachers along the corridors. Mm. I said, why? He says, canteen? I know, you know, canteen, you see whether people queue up properly. He said, oh, uh, in case the children fall down, what? I was like, huh? wait, 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 wait. If the what children like, fall down, what, I said, but, he, but I thought even if you stand along the corridor, the children might still fall down, right? They said, no, but at least if something happens, we are there to know what, what? happens. So I said, why do you say that? And the truth be told is that, he says that we have incidents before mm. whereby oh people, uh, children fell down and people and demanded answers from us. The parents. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then it adds a certain very negative culture whereby yeah. there's no yeah. trust within the system, but we must have a bit of give and take because mm. there's no way that the teachers can be responsible mm. for everything at every moment, yeah. right? So sometimes things happen, we will try our best to take care of the students and that's mm. our duty of care. Of and course. we must continue to do that. But you know, wow. where you find that balance, I think that's very important. Mm. Yeah, I was going to jump in as an educator and say that, you know, teachers really do best when they are, at, you know, passionate and can bring that passion in the classroom and, and are not bogged down by all these administrative things. But actually, I was wondering if, you know, to, to what extent do teachers still have that kind of bandwidth uh, to actually still create and bring that kind of uh, fun lesson plans? I'm uh, lucky as a university professor, I only teach two classes, um, it's two or three hour classes that keep me up all night. Uh, but you Do know, you that gives me a room. along the corridors right? to watch No, 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 I don't understand along the corridors. <laughs> but that gives me a lot of room to plan fun activities, mm. experiential learning, mm. theory, you know, we, we bring people on field trips to mm. um, the Trick Eye Museum in order to learn about cognitive illusion. So we bring the classroom to life mm. and we have a lot of that bandwidth because yeah. of, you know, the mm. structure of universities. But yeah. whenever I talk to uh, my teaching friends, very similar to you, yeah. uh, very they often say that, mm. you know, that bandwidth is hard, right? Mm. 
mm-hmm. that you know they would like to be able to um, explore and be creative and encourage the students to be creative. Right. So that's why we say that go for quality. Not mm. quantity. Mm. <laughs> In fact, recently I visited a school. It's quite interesting. I asked the children, so how's your homework? I mean, what's the work look like? He says, oh, we would like to have harder questions, but fewer questions. Mm. Because <clears throat> they want to be challenged. So the question is, how do we then plan that so-called more challenging uh, experience mm, yeah. according to the needs? Because every class is different. Every school is different. Mm. But the teacher actually knows best. They know the students best and then therefore they can design the curriculum in such a way that <clears throat> stretches the potential of their children. That's why yeah. sometimes uh, people ask, why is that that this school and this school, they teach the things differently? Mm. Uh, that's because the students are different. And that's where I think we need that in-depth understanding uh, of the student's ability and that deep sense of trust that the teacher is what we call the last mile person mm. that can close the gap. So are there steps being done right now to alleviate mm this asking too much of our school teachers so to, you know what I mean? So that they can do what they do best, which is yeah. teach. I think we are doing two things at the same time. Okay. <clears throat> One is to make sure that we simplify all the use technology, simplify all the administrative processes. Mm-hmm. And more interestingly, to use technology to have what we call the self-paced learning. So for example, mathematics, you can stretch the ability of the child just by gamifying the subject. Mm-hmm. So if you are good, you just keep stretching a bit more. If you're not so good, you can continue to revise. And uh, even for some of the languages, when people learn to pronounce words and speak, there's another part I think that we need to build the trust between the parents and the teachers and the partnership between the parents and the teachers. And we have seen very positive examples where some of our schools have very good, very positive Mm. parent support groups. They don't just come in to give suggestions to the teachers, but they actually... Uh, commit themselves to help the teachers to conduct certain uh, life lessons, if you like, to share their experiences beyond uh, the school environment. And that helps to complement one another rather than to expect the teachers to do everything at one go. Was it like skills... Courses, yes. futures for parents? Because no, 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 not, no. not students and teachers now. <laughs> we I, might uh, go into that in just a while. Actually, yeah. actually the parents, yeah, uh, really they, they also share yeah, amongst yeah. themselves because many of the parents are mm. actually in the workplace uh, environment. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. They, they, they might be with some progressive employers that are looking for new and different mm. skill sets. Right? And then they can also help to do some of the career counselling for the students themselves who knows that, Absolutely. oh, are you sure that you want to go into this line? Do you have this interest in this mm. area? Mm. Otherwise, you know, you, you might just be following other people and it may not be something that you really like to do. Yeah, because I do think probably is the risk-taking part here whereby, mm. you know, parents can also like, you know, take a step back. But then the risk factor is always like, if we take a step back, yeah. because it's so results-driven, Mm. All that matters. I'm so busy with my work. At the end of the day, what? This guy, this boy scores this much. Mm. Uh, so that becomes a worry because that takes into the future. Then it's going to grow up to be like a useless, you know, the imagination strike it further. Mm. In fact, that, that's, a, that's a strange that, part. Actually, we should be much more uh, adventurous, much more able to go and find new ways to see how we can bring to fruition the talents of our children. All right, we're going to move to our next hot take, okay? Which is... Okay. The move away from an examination-based education model is hampering learning and development amongst our students. Okay, so parents think that if we don't focus wow. on exams, okay. uh, what are we aiming for? What are your wow. thoughts? So, I mean, this is somewhat blood question, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
wow, this is totally like, you know, I can't even think on my toe right now. Okay, I let, don't let, know let, what let's ask Jane first. What do you think? So, an educator and a parent. Ask psychologist. Yes, yes, the educator and a parent. I think I feel that tension, right? I mean, I... You know, I would. Uh, I love uh, the 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 feedback that their teachers are giving to the students right now. No, now they still have assessments. They still have regular assessments. But instead of saying this is your grade, you're ranked what in class, uh, increasingly the teachers are saying, "Oh, look, you've progressed in your journey." You know, "Oh, you look, you have a little bit more to go. Uh, keep trying this." Did you notice that you know since the last assessment, you've mastered more words? And that's a star star in psychology theory. We say, "Wow, that's you know the correct way of doing feedback." What like what a psychologist would give. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, I get the the same sense of parent anxiety as you. There is still that high stakes PSLE at, at 12 years old and society hasn't changed that much no. so the employers are still going by very clean you know okay what grade do you graduate from you know what's your GPA I'm yeah. going to put your starting salary with that yeah. in mind you know so it's institutionalized so as much as our psychology theory would say that you know that's the best way to give feedback and learn there's still some things that institutionalize in fact I, I would say the following things about exams because uh, this, this came up from one of the questions I was asked in parliament yeah. You know, it's not so much as what whether we have exams. The question is, what do we test in an exam? And how do we test? When do we test? What's the purpose of all this? You see, in the past, I think a lot of the exams were very much on, hey, do you know your fun fundamentals? Mm. One plus one equals two. two. Okay, uh, if I say I mix red color with Blue color. What color will you get? Uh, purple. Ah, purple. <laughs> very well good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But you see, to me, some of these things are what I call fundamentals. Right. We really need to help our children frame tomorrow's challenges and then help them to figure out a way to gather those information, make sense of it, and come up with creative solutions. That's going to be the real world. Okay. When you go out to work- You don't have a 10-year series at you work. You don't huh? have a 10-year series <laughs> at work, right? Your boss is not going to ask you to solve yesterday's problems with yesterday's solutions, right? Your boss is trying to really go and look at you and say whether you know you are able to gather the new yeah. information and do, some, do something new. Mm. So I think the kind of skill sets that we need for exam is certainly going to, to change. But having said that, then I ask the educators, I say, how are you prepared to set these mm. questions that don't yet have answers? Yeah. In fact, in many societies, the parents are more concerned with how, what questions the children ask mm. than just what answers they give. So I think we need a balance of that. Of course, we need to give the answers to the known <laughs> questions and the known answers. Mm. But having said that, we need to go beyond, which is really that curiosity to explore something new and to yeah. try and come up with something new. So I think, for the exam itself, if it's done well, it actually hones a new type of skill sets mm -hmm. for our people. But if we're just getting people to regurgitate yeah. yesterday's answers and just by pure rote memory, I don't think that's going to work. And I don't think that's going to do us uh, 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 any good. So it's going to be a different kind of system preparing the, this generation, hopefully, yeah. um, for the global stage, yeah. right? So the other perspective of the exam is that, you see, sometimes we look at exam as trying to sort people out. And then there's a certain stigma that, mm. com that comes with it, right? But what if we ask, think of it another perspective. Even if we sort people out, it is to allow us to apply the correct resources to help our people to learn in the next phase. So mm. for example, in a PSLE, people say, oh, I want to go to this school. I want to go to that school. This school is a good school. I say, yes, this school is a good school. But is this school the best school for you to bring out your abilities? We need to know our children, their interests, and see how to put them in a place where it 
best help him or her to excel. I think that is important. Mm. Then we move away from this uh, stigmatization of trying to sort people according to abilities. And because of that, uh, then they yeah. get a certain mark on for the rest of their life. And this is what we mean by continuous meritocracy. In the past, people tend to have this idea that, you know, if I take one exam, mm. whether I do well or don't do well, then I just, my whole life will be determined by that one exam. Mm. But you, you look at all of us, I'm sure you didn't top all your A-level, O-level and whatnot, but you are still successful. Yeah. Some I top, some I topple over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we certainly did not go and top every course yeah. and whatnot. But that doesn't mean that we are not contributing members yeah. of society. That doesn't mean that we have no abilities that can play our part in society. Mm. So, you know, once we change our perspective to be so judgmental just by one single matrix, then I think we are less stressed. But how are we changing that? How? Uh, so we are and starting even from school. You yeah. see, uh, today we have full subject-based bending study, uh, each according to their own abilities in the different subjects. Now, of course, it takes more resources because mm. it's scheduling and so forth. Uh, but it makes the child realize that, hey, I may be good at one thing, but that doesn't mean that I'm good at everything and I shouldn't be complacent. On the other hand, if I'm weak at one thing, that doesn't mean that I'm weak at everything and I shouldn't be demoralized by this. So we want every child to understand that you have your unique strength and abilities. We want all the families to understand that their ch children all have different abilities and we should try to affirm them in the best possible way to bring out the best in them rather than to reduce them to a single digit, a single grade point and as if that would define them for the rest of their life. Are we moving down that right path? Is there, is there another solution? Well, I think one point that, you know, I'm really encouraged by is that, you know, the um, this idea that you don't stream people into different pigeonholes so quickly. Um, and, you know, one thing I'm very passionate about is this idea of social mixing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I often tell the story of, of where meritocracy has its promises as well as its pitfalls, how complex it is. Um, you know, I once supervised many high school students uh, in year-long research projects. And one year um, in the symposium, this girl spoke and she handled the same course readings that I was teaching my university students and she handled them so well that I brought her to my university class and asked her to teach my students. Wow. So she, I had clearly thought the world of her. But later I discovered, you know, a little bit more about her story uh, and I realized that, you know, um, when she was growing up, her parents often left them in the library to go and run other errands. And I guess, you know, the remarkable thing is if I were there, I'd probably go McDonald's and then, you know, snack off or go and play. Uh, but she read. And she read and she read. And so, you know, uh, by the time she had to write essays in school, uh, the teachers thought that she, were, she was plagiarizing the, the stories because they were so excellent. And then they realized, no, this girl can really write. And so, um, you know, they called the Ministry of Education and, and they personally, you know, this is one thing you cannot do in any big country. They personally um, uh, mentored her and made sure she got the, the opportunities in life. But however, I am still um, a bit curious because, you know, the elite schools still sound like they're still going to be the crazy competitive schools where, you know, parents uh, try very hard, send all their kids from young to gymnastics classes by the time they're age two or something to try to get in. And then, then you still have those silos and almost like two different models coming up. But that's where I think we have to be very careful because you, all of us as parents, if we try to hothouse our children um, to go into a certain track, which may not be suited for them, actually in the long run, we might be doing more harm yeah, than Yeah, it's good. detrimental, right? If, yes. Yeah, because I think, a, well, so I, for some of us, like I know of some parents already planning the kid who is two to go to this school and doing all that they can 
moving near lah. Wala this lah, call up. The famous word is for your own good. <laughs> Who's good? Who's the your? Me or you know what I mean? At <laughs> the end of the day. I have also seen thing. very yeah. sad cases whereby Hosanna yeah. uh, was saying that, you know, people move house mm. and try and get into these so-called popular schools. But in the end, the children don't thrive. And I've seen people, you know, in primary two, decided mm. to opt out. Yeah. And the saddest thing for me mm. is that instead of nurturing the curiosity, that desire to learn in the child, we have just snuffed out the child's yeah, sense fire, of the, yeah, the passion. fire, the passion to learn. And they are just in the wrong environment. It's always, yes, this is a good school, but is this school good for your child? All right, it's, been, it's fantastic that we're talking about how we equip our kids, our school-age students with skills for the world. Now, we need to also turn our attention to people who are already in the workplace. And there's quite a lot of emphasis on lifelong learning. And uh, I understand that there's a, this is a point of passion for Suhaimi, who has now <laughs> got wow, a bachelor like degree. <laughs> uh, and, and, and of course, <laughs> Mr. Chan, you're also very passionate about this, okay? But before we talk about that, let's have a look at our next hot take. Lifelong learning is pointless because, you know, academic curriculum can never catch up with the ever-changing requirements of the workforce. So you all go and study for what? <laughs> <laughs> huh? So I mean, why? Yeah, I think it goes back to the fundamental point that we discussed and I think I brought it on the table that, you know, learning has to be something that you enjoy. And I think we all agree that it's something that it's not forced upon. And I think the idea of actually going to school is much more than just memorizing text books and, you know, for certain formulas. So to me, it's like, I think the journey that I took on was like, uh, you know, we came up from the era where everything is comparable. It was like sports, you know, it's like this guy, he went to NUS first and then this guy. So I was at the point of junction where I had to like, decide to like, hey, should I take on this career after national service? Because this opportunity to me is like, I got the whole of the microphone for the radio show. So it's like, do I take this on or do I follow my friends? So then I decided at that point in time, okay, never mind, I, I'll go on with the career. And then bye-bye uh, friends. So, so they went on for their further studies. And then I thought like maybe, okay, after that, uh, I go and study and you know, I can have my own money and continue my study. Uh. But having said that, uh, it's not really easy because I think at that time, uh, well, I dropped out three times. I'm not ashamed to say that because well, I- you, you mean you, yeah, you studying studied, theater uh, or went to no, university film? Between when I was working at- uh, Oh, okay. So you radio. did try before. I did. Okay, yeah, okay. So I would drop out three times. Okay. And then uh, sometimes I felt like at that time, uh, okay, it was like, okay, three times drop out. And then I felt like it's totally useless. Mm. This is not going anywhere. And suddenly sometimes you make yourself feel better by reading books about people who didn't make it like Bill Gates and said, hey, you know, <laughs> like this guy also dropped out, like Robert Kiyosaki, you know, so suddenly it's like you found inspiration somewhere else. But then again, something happened. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, where was the turning point that you said, yes? Uh, I, I think when I decided to continue on, when I start to see my daughter, you know, when she went to NTU and I said, like a house study, you know, one night, I just came and visit her a little bit at the room. Said, oh, under pressure here and stuff like that. Then a thought came to my head, you know, that's the first thing that like, why would I encourage her when I can become that encouragement? So the encouragement becomes me. Oh. So, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I took on as like, wait, and then of course at the end of the day, it was like, this is something that I, I've done many shows, went to so many platforms, crossovers, so many, I went to all languages. And then this is something which was never fulfilled. And I took that as a challenge to myself and her. And I said, let's complete this. And I'll take on this, this course. Uh, and then of course, uh, when I went on to submit my submission, and they say like, at least we are like, you know, we could put you on a higher, higher speed on meter. If you have like experience of at least minimum five years, oh, like five years. A fast track degree. Yeah. So I go like, uh, okay, <laughs> went into the third year. I say not five years. I got 32 years of a whole stack of experience if you want. But the beautiful thing is when I went into classes, then suddenly, you know, light bulb in my head. It's like, hey, wait a minute. It is something very familiar. And what was theory back then? Yeah. Now it becomes something like a story. I feel like the minute the lecturer opened up its mouth, I could like no, not only imagine. Mm. It's like I've seen this, I've touched yeah. it, and that was like smooth sailing. I like you no know, looking at my classmates, you know, at the side when the younger ones they go like they're trying to struggle to. <laughs> it's like you don't know what you I'm going to do. Pressure them man. and stress them out. Yeah, right? it's like is that no, sorry, so difficult? I want to ask you, yeah. what's your biggest takeaway yeah. from your experience? I begin to structure my brain okay. and then uh, apply it effectively. So I thought like, I had to go back to school because whatever I learned, mm -hmm. street smart, right? And now it's properly structured so I could think clearly. And that really helps a lot. I Gee. feel like, you know, you know, before this session started, you were actually playing with the microphone, trying to see, being really curious about how do we optimize this. And I think you embody the curiosity that we talk about, right? That lifelong learning, even before there was the classroom, you were already um, uh, changing and learning, keeping up to date in many ways. I just encourage uh, everyone when they read this, right? It says that, you can never catch up with the ever-changing requirements <laughs> of the workforce. Absolutely. I just want us to remember this. We are not the only one in the world facing this challenge. Mm -hmm. Then the question is, how can the academic curriculum catch up or at least don't lag too far behind? And that is where we started all these models to what I call tie up the industry with the academia. Mm -hmm. We want the frontier knowledge in industry, the frontier business practices to come back to the academia world as soon as possible. Because yeah. I always believe, you know, in Singapore, we never compete on the basis of how much resources we have, how many people we have. But we always compete on the basis of how fast we evolve our ideas, how fast we are able to evolve our products and services so that we can have a niche for ourselves in the world. And the way to do that is that we must get our industry and our academia working closely together. So for example, uh, you know, the old way of doing things, supposing you say cybersecurity, how long does it take to create a new course, a new module for cybersecurity to deal with the latest uh, virus and whatnot? You know, in the past, you may yeah. take a few months, yeah. curate a course, take another few months to uh, teach the, train the trainers, right? <laughs> yeah. Or get it approved, train the trainers, <laughs> yeah. then the trainers to train the trainees. So by the time you finish, <laughs> new virus, new virus. Yeah. So today, how do you shorten that cycle, right? Yeah. Mm. So then the only way is that you need to get the practitioners who are at the to forefront come to come in yeah. and teach the people. Yeah. And then they have this, what we call, instead of looking at the whole degree or the diploma, uh, that module. Absolutely. That just that module, mm. how to overcome these challenges mm. in a just-in-time manner. So beyond the first diploma and degree, mm. actually what many of our people need are really just-in-time modules. And we must be realistic, right? All of us are working, it's quite impossible for us to go back to school, go back yeah. to school. Yeah. So what's the alternative? Sure. The alternative is bring the school to the pocket of the adult. Because today with all these uh, uh, internet access, yeah. 
you can, while waiting for the bus, waiting for the train, you know, even have just a bit of downtime, you can read something and learn something. Then the question is, how do we organize ourselves so that we produce all these uh, interesting modules that can allow our people to learn on the move, if you like. Learn anything, anytime, anywhere. So that's how I think we can try to close the gap between what is frontier industry and business mm. practices with what we learn in school. Mm. But that also means that we have to keep learning. So the question is, how do we structure our modules in such a way? But there's still a role for people to go back to, uh, to the school, if you like. If you look at the SUSS model, yeah. people go back to school not SMU to listen to lectures. All, yeah. In fact, they listen to lectures in what we call asynchronously. They own time, own target. You read the lecture, you do the submission, you're on your own. But when you go back to school, you learn to interact with people. You learn to solve new problems. You learn to create new solutions. And that's the fun part of learning together. So I think that's the new model that we have to prepare ourselves, prepare our institutions to help our adult learners learn if we are to compete with other people and we're supposed to evolve faster than other people. I was just going to say that, you know, it's not just that the curriculum there is there and we're trying to make it more accessible, but increasingly, you know, our jobs are so uh, fast changing and people will change whole industry. I was just going to speak from personal experience. I'm actually leaving education after 35 years in schools and teaching uh, to join the art sector and it's completely different and it's completely daunting as well um, but it is exactly this kind of uh, lifelong learning attitude that makes me know that I can switch over to another job we all have to learn and pick up these new skills but we didn't pick it up so consciously because someone taught us we picked it up I think necessity unconsciously sometimes by necessity yeah. <laughs> but you have some basics that allow us to yeah, pivot for sure. and say that uh. mm. so I remember I mean when I was mm. in school uh, I was supposed to study economics then I say I do, do the minimum necessary to get all my grades. <laughs> then I spend time reading other things. Right. Uh, you, you might think that they are not of immediate relevance, but sometimes somewhere in life, you know, the idea will come back and say, hey, actually there's another perspective to this that I <laughs> yeah. never thought of before. And that's where I think even if we are learning some things that is perhaps not so evident that mm. it is going to be applied immediately, you never know, you know, this cross-pollination of ideas and it allows us to have this new and more creative ways of uh, looking at the world. Absolutely, Min Chan. And I just want to tell everyone that I am a, actually an electronics engineer by training. No! Yeah. <laughs> On that note, I wish we had more time to chat more about our lives and lifelong learning. So you can fix the microphone if it breaks I can, off. I can, but I won't show off right now. Um, thank you so much, Jean, Suhaimi, Min Chan, for, for sharing and, 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 and telling us what's happening um, under the pillar of Equip. Um, you know what, we're going to have more pillars coming your way and more discussions with community leaders as well as personalities. So if you've got questions or comments, you can always put it down and click on the link below and put it all there for us, okay? And I hope to see you in our next episode. 